you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to the front uh, or to the beginning of your scrolling if you have an electric Bible like most these days. We're going to be in Genesis again, uh, the book of Genesis chapter 2 mostly. So we continue our series on origins. We've been talking about how things came to pass, how they came to be uh, according to God and his, uh, his will in, in creation. And, uh, and I, I've enjoyed this uh, process, kind of going through these things again. A lot of times we skip over the things we think we know the most and, um, and maybe don't examine them on a deeper level. But as we've talked through the first couple chapters of, of our Bibles, uh, I've just really enjoyed it. Today, uh, today we're going to continue what we started last week where we started talking about the Imago Day. Everybody say Imago Day. Anybody remember what it means? Image of God. Every, every man is created in the image of God. It says that man is created by God in his own image. It says that as much in Genesis chapter 1 where it says, Then God said, Let us. Remember, we weren't thrown by that. It's not God saying there's a whole bunch of deities. We're not, we're not pantheists or polytheists. Uh, polytheism is what I meant there. Uh, but we are a, 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 a people who believe in a God who is three in one. And right off early in the Bible, God refers to himself in the plural. So he's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, he, and, and God says to himself, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And uh, so we, we're just taking these, uh, these two weeks to discover what this likeness is all about. What does it mean when God says that we are created in his likeness. In fact, that's the question we're seeking to answer here. What does it mean for us to bear the image of God? We came up with three last week. I'm just going to review them with you real fast. If you weren't here, uh, here's what we talked about. We, were, we are created by God. It tells us in the scripture to act like he acts. It says in Genesis <clears throat> that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. We were created in the image of God. Uh, this doesn't necessarily mean that we were created to physically look like God, although Jesus is in our likeness, being, you know, fully God and fully man. Uh, but we talked last week that this primarily means that we are meant to be morally the Xeroxes, Xerox I, whatever. We're to be the, the carbon copies, that's another old term, of, uh, of who God is, morally speaking. We're supposed to act like he acts, to, to be chips off the old block, as it were, spiritually speaking. Uh, God is, has created us uh, to be uh, mimics of him when it comes to uh, how we live. We, we talk about that around here in terms of us surrendering to God. We, what we're basically saying when we say that we exist as a church to surrender to God as he makes disciples through us here and around the world is that that surrender part is us saying, you know what, I'm not going to choose to be like anything else except you. I'm going to act like you. I'm going to be like you. I'm going to choose with everything in my uh, will and power to be as much like you as I possibly can. We were created by God to act like he acts. We were secondly created by God to lead like he leads. Remember we, uh, we went to verse uh, 28 of, of Genesis chapter 1 and we read that God commanded the man to be, uh, be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, but then to subdue it and to have dominion over it. Those, that's my parentheses there, but uh, we're basically put here on the earth as God's vice regents. We're like uh, the oldest uh, brother or sister who uh, is, is left to babysit the other kids. Anybody remember me talking about that? Yeah. Um, we're, we're not in charge. It's not ours, but we are given the mantle of, of watching over things uh, for God as, uh, as, as his vice regents here on the earth. We talked about how that has some incredible benefits. We're not in the food chain. Yay, right? And, uh, and we have uh, all of these incredible um, provisions from God as, as the, the, the apex of his creation. We are the pinnacle of what he made. But it comes with this 
uh, really important responsibility. Uh, it says in Genesis 2.15 that God put uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden and he said, work it and keep it. And we, we remember from those words that working it means we need to produce, we need to be productive, that, that we as a humanity were, were made by God to be on this earth and to be involved in creation and to produce from creation. And, and we've gotten really good at that. We're going to talk about that a little bit more, about our creativity and how we've accomplished that. But we also read that there that it says that we're to keep the earth, that we're to protect it. And so we need to get fussed out when things, uh, you know, aren't right in our environment or aren't right as far as cruelty to animals and other things that are going on uh, in in our world. It's not a political issue like so many people want to make it. It is a spiritual issue. It is the command of God for us to care for what he has given us here in his creation. I know some people uh, heard me talk about my, uh, you know, my littering thing. I saw a bag, like a huge bag of mulch, like one of those leftover bags of mulch. That someone, I don't, there was no other mulch in our entire church property this past week, but there was a huge bag of mulch by my door to my office that goes outside. So if that was your plant and you were taking pictures of me to see if I would pick it up, I totally did. Just got you. All right, anyway, <coughs> thought I'd mention that. All right, third thing we talked about is this. We are created by God to love like he loves. As his image bears, uh, he, God, who is described in the scriptures, First John, he says God is Love. God is love. I mean, it's not like God's like love or God is loving. It just says God is love. And so uh, as his image bears, this is one of our primary functions in acting uh, like our God. We're supposed to love like he loves. And last week we talked about the fact uh, that there's this, it's immense, this whole idea of love. I could preach uh, sermon after sermon on this and never really cover it fully. Uh, but we talked about there at least being three things just in the conversation that God had with man initially there. In Genesis chapter 1, he starts out by giving a command, be fruitful, multiply, subdue, and have dominion. Remember those commands? And we talked about how in relationships, if we're going to love others like God loves us and we're to love him, then we need to be those who are willing to kind of stick our nose out and say, this is what needs to happen next. We need to be directional, right? Some of the most loving things that we can do in our relationships is to tell people where to go. And you've been waiting for a pastor that gives you the permission to tell someone where to go. So there it was. But... uh, (laughs) <laughs> not that kind, but, uh, <laughs> but when I say be directional, some of the most loving things that I do in my relationship with my kids or even my wife, and some of the most loving things that my wife does in her relationship with me is to say, hey, Mark, this is what needs to happen in your life. I'm, I'm seeing these things. They should not be. Let's do something else. It's directional love, but it's love none all the same. Are you with me? We talked about how love should be provisional. It says uh, there in verse 29 of uh, Genesis chapter 1 that God says, hey, look around. Everything I've made, it's all for you. Uh, first man and first woman, it's all yours. Have at it, have fun. We're going to talk about that more even today. But he says you can partake of every tree except for one. But he says this, everything is yours. And love is, it, it, can we all agree that love by definition is almost always provisional? It's, it's you sacrificing yourself so that someone else might have. It's you saying here, I love you, take mine. I love you, have this. I love you, here you go. It's a provisional. Love is a provisional thing. Uh, if your love is a selfish love, I would question if it's love at all. If your love is always requiring and has condition, it's probably not the kind of love that God uh, created us uh, to share with him and with each other. So uh, provisional love. And then finally, we know that God's love is an explanational love. Uh, it says there in verse 30 that kind of just this one-off verse, it seems like 
You know, Adam didn't ask the question, but God decided to tell him anyway. Hey, by the way, I'm taking care of all the animals. They're going to eat all the plants and all the food. Don't worry, I got it all covered. And uh, it seems like this this throwaway verse is just like, okay, on to the next thing. But it, it shows us that God, in his, uh, his concern for us, is willing to let us in on things so that we can have peace. Is everybody grateful that God doesn't hide everything? That's, he hides, certainly, he hides some stuff. And I've talked to people who that's why they don't believe in God. Well, if I can't know everything about God, I don't want to believe in him. If I can't understand, if you can't answer all these questions, if you can't, you know, and, and I get it. We tried our best to answer some of the questions. I'm going to tackle a, a tougher one today. Uh, but I can't tell you everything about God. In fact, God says, you're not going to be able to understand everything about me. My ways are not your ways, says, says the Lord. It's just, it's not possible. And it's not how I want it to be anyway. I want you to have faith, it says in the scriptures. I want you to believe in things you can't see. And accept things that you can't fully understand. You've got to have faith in this deal, right? So I'm not going to show you everything. Uh, in fact, if you could know everything about God, is, is God really God? No, the mystery of God is what sets him apart from us. If he's completely knowable, he's finite, right? Can't be knowable. But some people, that's where they just step off the God train. They're just like, if I can't know everything about him, I'm out. That's unfortunate. Uh, and, and for me, and like I know many of you, that's not my standard that I put on God. I'm like, hey, if I can't know everything about you, thanks for at least letting me know some, right? Thanks for revealing enough. Thanks for explaining to me that your son is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one gets to you except through him. Thanks for sending him. Thanks for giving me the, the scriptures and, and this, this text that kind of reveals yourself to me in ways that I can understand you and follow you and, and pursue you. And sure, there's lots of questions that I have. That's, I think, eternity, if... If there were time in eternity, we'd spend all of our time in eternity asking God the questions that we didn't get here, right? But at least we know enough, enough to follow. And even in situations in my life, like uh, I know, uh, has anybody ever heard the verse, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path? It's Psalm 119. And it's this great verse that basically describes what would happen back in the ancient days when you would go out walking in the dark. No street lights, no nothing. Like you're out in the country like like thick dark, you know what I'm talking about? And they didn't have, you know, those, uh, you know, fat flashlights like we have that, you know, can basically light up, uh, you know, it's like a laser beam. You can burn things with them, you know what I'm talking about? They just had this little, like, Aladdin's genie lamp, you know, with this little flicker thing on the end. And when you would walk in the woods around there in, in ancient times, you would have this lamp at your feet. That's why it says your word is like a lamp unto my feet. You wouldn't hold it up here. It'd be no good to you. You hold it down here so that you can just take one step at a time, not step on the snake that's over there and not step into the hole that's over there. You follow me? It's a perfect verse. It's a beautiful verse, and it describes this, this revelation that God gives us. A lot of times he doesn't give us, the lights aren't on. It's not sunshiny day outside. It's dark in life sometimes. Everybody with me on that? But God always gives us enough, that one little lamp, his word. His, he reveals enough so that we can take that next step. We don't know what the prognosis or the diagnosis is going to be. We'll just take the next step, right? I'm not going to take the next step because I'll be over there. <laughs> so we talked about that in some form or fashion last week. I got two more for you. We're going to go home. We might get out of here early. <clears throat> Let me talk to you uh, from, from Genesis chapter 2 about the fact that God created us to create like he creates. God created us to think and to imagine and to ponder and to 
to better ourselves and our lives. He gave us the ability to create. Isn't that cool? Have you ever been around a creative person? I, 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 I kind of have some of that, but there's way more creative. My wife is uber creative. She's got 50 ideas to my one. Sometimes it wears me out, to be honest with you. I'm just like, slow down. But creative people, they can just see stuff. My wife can see stuff, and she'll, you know, it, it, looks, it looks like an old bottle to me, but it's going to become a lamp. Somehow, that's going to be a lamp, right? And she can just see that kind of stuff, anybody. Uh, God, God made her that way. God made all of us that way. Some of us are creative, creative, kind of just artistically creative. Some of us are engineering creative, all right? We're, we're more, you know, numbers and lines and all that stuff. But he, he gave us abilities to do things there. And we've just, as a humanity, we have advanced in our creativity to the point that we live in the age that we live in now with some of the most incredible stuff that mankind has ever had at his disposal, right? And how, would that, how did that come to be? Well, man just pulled up his bootstraps and made it happen. No, God created man to be creative. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 2. It says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Now just pause real quick. That might belie or give us the idea that maybe God didn't know what Adam was going to call the animals. Let me just kind of rub that one out real quick. Um, does God know what's going on? Yeah, there's this theological, if you're, if you're new to the Bible and God and our understanding of that, um, there's this theological tenet that says that God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. Knows everything, okay? Uh, even knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. That's a problem for some people, and we'll get to that actually later in the sermon. Thanks for coming this morning, okay? But he knows everything. So when, when Adam got ready to name the animals, it's not like God was like, ooh, I wonder what he's going to do, Okay? <laughs> But I think he was excited to watch his creativity uh, flow out of the program he had written in the software that was this guy, right? Let's just watch this all come about. Because even though he knew what Adam was going to choose, Adam didn't know what Adam was going to choose. So here come all the animals. Whatever the being called, every living creature, that's what its name was. Here come all the animals, okay? I don't know if it was a parade. I don't know if they sold popcorn, if there were bands. I don't know. But here comes all the animals, and they just walk in front of Adam and he goes, cow, definitely cow. Let me hear you moo, cow, right? And you just, that's the cow. All right, we got a horse. There's some chickens here. Okay, uh, I'm warming up. That's, that one's weird, platypus. We're going to call that platypus, right? That's a big old bird. How about emu for that one? We'll call that emu. You know what an emu is? Anyway, emu. Anyway, I mean, all the stuff. Everything you went to the zoo to see, you know, we've changed the languages and all that stuff over time. But originally, those animals got their names from who? From Adam. And Adam came up with that stuff all by himself. He just made it up. It was a big party, him and God, as they named the animals. It goes on in verse 20. It says, the man gave the names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heaven, to every beast of the field. But then, foreshadowing, come back next week. For Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so we're going to talk about her next week. I'll come back. But here in these two verses, which seem just like almost throwaway verses too, because they just lead up to the, to the uh, invention of woman, uh, we see that God created Adam to be creative. And I am so grateful that he did. Like every week, I create with God in his direction, and lots of books back there in my office, every sermon I've ever preached to you. I don't get these in the mail, just so you know. Jerry, you ever got one in the mail? Just when you preach, you just, you got to make it up. 
right? And I really make mine up. You know that, right? Because I kind of have, you know, I got some rails up here. I got some notes. There's a blinking thing in front of me. We've got some colors and words and stuff. But, but I'm just flowing. I'm just going and flowing. Why? Because God created me to be creative, even in the dispensing of his word, right? And, and some of you are creative artistically. Some of you are creative engineeringly. Uh, but we live in an age where creativity has, has gone beyond what, what I even thought, like Jetsons type stuff. I was reading in the paper the other day that they're making driverless cars. Like, not like in the future, they're making them now. Tesla and Google and all these companies are making cars that have enough sensors on them that you can get them. They just did a cross-country drive with driverless cars. It's here, people, right? Everybody hold up your cell phone. If you've got a cell phone, even if it's a flip top, it's still an amazing, <laughs> I'm not down on your phone. But it's still an amazing creation. Does everybody understand that like 10 years ago, these didn't really exist? 20 years ago, if you had a phone, 30 years ago, if you had a phone, it was in a purse, right? And you had to haul it out. It was like one of those phones you'd call in, you know, you know uh, shells from the artillery with, right? And you had to crank it and all that stuff. But now you have enough computing power in your pocket that it would take 20 desktops in 1980 to, to equal what's in your pocket. It's phenomenal. Do you know there's chips inside of this thing that are made on these things called wafers that TI and other companies like Texas Instruments uh, created? They're micro, micro, micro chips. You need micro, micro, microscopes to see the stuff that powers what's going on on the screens of your phone. And we have the audacity to get mad at the fact that we don't have enough bars. <laughs> Stupid phone. Or, or like that one time where you make a phone call and it takes the three seconds more than it usually does for the phone to actually start dialing and get to the person and you're like, come on, stupid phone. It's going to outer space. <laughs> but we sit in this day and age, you know, and, and all the fantastic creations. There, there's apps on these phones. Who's, who's got a favorite app? Anybody got a favorite app? I got a couple. One, one, my, one of my favorite apps is, is, is very utilitarian. It's, it's the app that goes to my cable. There's a Verizon Fios app that basically allows me to program my DVR, which is, again, a miracle of modern science. Come on, who remembers the 70s? If you wanted to watch a show, you had to park your in front of the show at the time that it started, you had to watch all the commercials unless you went to the refrigerator, right? And if you wanted to change the channel, you had to make your kid get up and do it. Because <laughs> I was that kid. I was my father's remote. There were three channels, four if you were lucky, right? And now we live in this age, there's, I, I don't even know the channels that are on my TV. I only watch a few of them, but there are like hundreds of them. And the, and the greatest thing is, is that I have this DVR. I don't have to go and put a tape in a machine anymore and set a timer. Does anybody remember doing that? No, I could just go, type something up on my phone in my office, and I can tape the hockey game that I didn't get to see last night because I was at church. I can actually, this is really fun. Did you know you can actually make this your remote? And so from your office, if you know your wife is watching her favorite show at the time, <laughs> that you're in the office, you can just start changing the channels on her until she's like, what, what? <laughs> I'm not even there and I'm enjoying it. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I've totally done that with my kids. They'll just be watching TV. They've got all the remotes in their hands, and I'll stand right behind them, and I'll just go, boop, boop, 
And they'll be like, I can't reverse their ghost in the machine. Anyway, uh, it's a blast. There's, there's an app on this phone. Uh, it's not even got a cool name. It's just like optical something. But it's basically, uh, if you get to a certain age and your eyes don't work anymore like mine don't, if you get that fine print menu, you can take this phone, use its camera, and use this app and just go and it zooms in on whatever you can't see. These are my glasses now. Isn't this great? It's this amazing thing. I could go off. I mean, it, was, it wasn't too many years ago that we were just celebrating the cordless phone because then we didn't have to wrap this 30-foot cord around our house so we could talk to our boyfriends and girlfriends in private. And um, It was 100-and-something years ago before we even had a phone, right? But here we are in this day and age where these advancements are making our lives imminently, exponentially so more easier, and we, we have the audacity to complain about them. Isn't that funny? We're funny humans. But all those inventions came about because God made humans creative. Somebody got in a room and said, hey, I think if we throw this big piece of metal up into our uh, stratosphere and figure out ways to electronically communicate with it, we could, we could do a lot of really cool things. Uh, I, I think if we put some tubes in a box and run some electricity through it, we can actually make pictures show up on a screen, a piece of glass, right? And walk around your house. It's amazing what man and his creativity has done. And just so we're clear, um, man has never really truly created anything. All man has done is discovered what God, in his infinite mind and, and wisdom, had created originally, and we've just figured out how to manipulate it now to where we can you know, make phone calls from a piece of metal in our pocket, all right? But God created all that stuff. We're just, we're just discovering things. We're, we're like that person... Uh, who, uh, who hears, you know, that, uh, you know, like some of my friends will, uh, we're, we're sports fans, and we'll hear that some player has been traded, and we'll start texting each other. Did you hear so-and-so got traded? And they'll be like, yeah, like, that's so five minutes ago. You know, like, uh, I don't know what website you're looking at, but I got that on a text from blah, 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 blah. And we're like, oh, I didn't get to scoop them, right? We love being the first ones with the ideas or the news and uh, that's never happened with any of our creations. We've never truly invented anything. We're never, we've never come up with something where we're like, hey, God, check that out. Bet you didn't think that was coming. And God's like, ugh, there's nothing new under the sun, bozo. <laughs> Everything that you're making, I already knew about. You're not surprising me. You're not surprising me. He made us creative. But sin has made our creativity and, and our whole image uh, of God uh, potentially a disaster. Uh, we're going to get more in-depth into that in a few weeks as we get into the section of Scripture that talks about the first sin. But spoiler alert, in a, in a few verses here, uh, this, this great little tandem of Adam and Eve and this perfect garden setting and everything is just going to get messed up beyond belief uh, because of the next thing we're going to talk about today, the, the fact that we were created to choose. Uh, man choose not God, chooses not God, and sin comes into existence. And so all that... <clears throat> incredible potential to, to act like God acts and to lead like God leads and to love like God loves and to create like God creates. It, 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 it basically has this other side to it now. When sin comes into existence, uh, all the things that God made uh, us to be can now go towards good or they can go towards evil. And we can get really creative in doing things that aren't so great. Sometimes it's innocent. Like my, my beautiful bride, she tells a story of how she was an elementary student and 
She's always been a petite lady, and especially as a little, a little girl, she was very small. And so uh, she used to just try to figure out where she could put her carcass. And so she figured out that on her desk, remember those old desks that had the desk and then the chair with the bar came down and the chair was kind of part of the desk and, and there was that little square behind you know, the chair that your back went up against. And then there was a space between the seat part and the back part, right? There was a, those bars came up to hold the backrest. Everybody with me? Well, she figured out she could get into that little space. I don't know what she would do with it. I mean, she apparently, you know, so every once in a while she'd be kneeling on her chair and she'd stick her feet through there and she'd just kind of wiggle through. I don't know if she, like, wandered around her classroom or I don't know what she did. But she figured out she could do it. One day she was, she was just doing what she knew she could do. I could squeeze through there. But she forgot that she was wearing this huge 1970s belt buckle, right? She was a stylish elementary student, right? But she was going through this belt buckle, got caught on one of those bars, in such a way that she couldn't keep going through, but in such a way that she couldn't get back out. Well, it's starting to become kind of a disturbance in her classroom because this little girl is now stuck in her desk. And one of her friends says, hey, teacher, Eleanor's stuck in her desk, and the teacher gets all mad and goes back there, tries to pick up Eleanor and get her out of the desk, but when she picks up Eleanor, she picks up the desk. I mean, this, this child is not coming out. So now she calls all the teachers on her block, right? You got to see this kid. You got to see her. She is stuck in her desk, and Eleanor's like, <laughs> and they have to walk her down to the principal's office. Two teachers holding the desk, and Eleanor just kind of walking in the chair of her desk <laughs> to the principal's office or the bathroom, one of, the, one of those. But they had to undo her belt so that she could drop her trial and, and pop out of her desk, right? She'll never forget it, right? But that is just a, an instance of how our creativity can kind of head in directions that aren't. 100% productive, right? <laughs> but we all know that our creativity can take us in directions that are just wholly, disastrously, uh, horrifically evil. Um, I went to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem a couple summers ago, and uh, it's a life-changing thing. You're not going to smile for a while. Uh, when you go in there, but you get to see the, the courage of a people and you get to see the evil of a propaganda, of a movement that was the Nazis. Because here's the deal. God created the Nazis and he created them with the ability to create and the, those creators got together in a room at the beginning of the, of, of the Holocaust and they said, here's how we're going to extinguish an entire race of people. And we're going to set up these camps over all of our, you know, conquered lands. And we're just going to bust them there. And we're going to work them to the bones until uh, they can't work anymore. Uh, and then we're just going to, we're going to gas them and cremate them. And we're going to do it in, in such a, uh, you know, production line way that we're going to be able to kill millions of these people in five or six years. And someone in that group said, great idea, great, stamp, awesome. Love your creativity. And so was set into motion one of the most evil things that's ever happened on our planet, right? I mean, I can go off on a whole bunch of things. But where did those evils come from? From the minds of the Imago Dei. Yeah. Yeah, creativity is something we've got to be careful with. So here's my quick question to you. How, how's, how's your creativity going? What are you creating in your life, right? What... what what are you creating in your life? Are you creating things that honor God? Remember, Jesus comes to the earth and he says, hey, you know what? There's this wide road that leads to destruction and this narrow path that leads to life. 
And every day you guys can, and I can create things that lead towards God and his good, or we can create things that lead towards not God, and, and the things are going to make a mess. We do it all the time in our relationships, right? I was sitting once with a married couple, and, and uh, it was a difficult, uh, you know, session with them. It took uh, way more than the typical hour that I sit with someone, and uh, we were probably into the third hour, and we just got a roller coaster on this thing to where, you know, I didn't know if it was going to work out, and then we got to the serene part of the conversation, like 15 minutes to the end where you could just see God working, softening hearts, forgiveness in eyes that hadn't had forgiveness before, right? And I was just about to close in prayer, thinking, okay, good. I got us, you know, by the grace of God, we got to the point where this thing could move forward and we could have reconciliation. But you know what happened? I'm just about to pray, and the dude says, wait a minute, I got one more thing. The Imago Dei created something. Everything had been going great. He should have just let me pray. But he just couldn't leave it. And his flesh popped one more idea in his head. And in one sentence, he did un- undid all the good that had happened in the last 10 or 15 minutes. He hurt his wife so deeply that she just stood up, walked out of my office, and slammed the door. And the three of us never sat in a room together again. And their marriage is over. Now, it wasn't that one thing that ended their marriage. But I can tell you that your creativity given to the wrong, it'll make things a lot worse. So I ask you again, what are you creating in your life? You get choices every morning, every day. What am I going to create? My prayer is that God will lead you to creating the things that would honor him. I think most of all, we just need to slow down. I just encourage all of us to slow down. If that dude had just slowed down and said, God, is this a good idea for me to ask this question? Well, maybe we would have a different out- outcome. All of us, if we would just slow down before that creative thought comes into our heads and comes out of our mouths, if we would just slow down and be like, wait a minute, I don't know if this is a good idea. Can't tell you how many times I've done that with a work project. Well, here's how I'll fix this. I'll create a lever, you know, out of six cinder blocks and... Uh, and I, I start down this road of engineering that I have no business going down, right? And thankfully, I'm usually with a partner who's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, stop. <laughs> but sometimes, even when I'm by myself, I'll be like, wait a minute, no, that's never going to work. I don't need to create that. Slow down, ask yourself, what am I doing? And then create for the good. But the second thing I want to talk to you about today is kind of related to creating. It's the choosing part. We are created by God to choose like he chooses. Here we go. Got to do this quick. Created by God to choose like he chooses. It's out of the ground, the Lord, uh, this is chapter 2, verse 9 of Genesis. Out of the ground, the Lord God made the, to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for the food. Uh, and the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there as well. So here's what we got. God made trees. God made fruits, oranges, bananas. I found out those were kind of tree-like things. Um, if you have an orange tree, by the way, my wife Ellen and I are walking past it, she's going to pick one, and she's going to eat that sucker right there. Your oranges are unsafe around my wife. But, uh, but isn't it great? There's all these trees that you can just kind of, you know, not with impunity, but you can just, you know, eat from. It's the, the God made them. You don't need to go to the grocery store. You just got to find the tree that it comes from, and you can eat it right there, right then, right? God says to Adam, he says, hey, man, all these trees, feed yourself from them. But here we go. 
The Lord God commanded the man, saying, what, what, what you may surely eat of every tree. How many trees? You could eat of how many trees? Every tree. Have fun. But here comes the word in the Bible. That is the big dun-dun-dun-dun word, right? But. You can eat of every tree, but there's this one tree. That tree of the knowledge of good and evil. By the way, Adam fully understood good. He was born good. He was, remember Jesus, or God said that at the end of every day? Good, good, good. Very good. Remember? Adam didn't need a knowledge of good. But this knowledge of evil thing, yeah, that was what's going to create what we live in now. And so God says to listen, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're not eating from that. Because on the day that you do eat of that, you shall surely die. Death is going to come into existence. God's a good parent there. He says to his son, Adam, he says, hey, Adam, here's the deal. You can play with anything you want. But if you play on that one tree, here's what's going to happen. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked by people this question. Why did God create something that could ruin everything? Ever been asked that? Hey, why, why would God create something, the potential for sin, that could ultimately come into the world and ruin everything? I mean, isn't that our problem? Sin is the problem, man. Why, I mean, if God, and, and here's what we believe. We don't believe that God created sin. In fact, it tells us in James chapter 1 that God doesn't tempt anyone. He doesn't lead anybody to sin. But God created the potential for sin by giving man a choice to choose him not. Does everybody see that? Has everybody ever wondered why God did that? Now, this is a huge, involved area of conversation that I can't begin to do in five minutes like I have. But let me give you a couple arguments for this, and it starts with this. First of all, when God created, does everybody know why God created? Here's why God created. It wasn't because he was lonely, okay? It wasn't because uh, he was bored, all right? God created so that he could glorify himself, now, to us, that sounds like God's arrogant or something like that. Why would he, you know, he should be humble. and not, No, God is the only person in existence who rightly exists to glorify himself. If we exist to glorify ourselves, we are absolutely arrogant because we are trying to take glory that is rightly God's and put it on ourselves. Glory for us, bad. Glory for God, good, all right? And so God creates to glorify himself. It says this in, in Isaiah chapter 43. Look what it says. Uh, Isaiah uh, predicting the, uh, the expulsion of Israel from its land. It's going to be overrun. Uh, he, he basically says, you're going to be overrun, but then God's going to let you come back, and God's going to bring you back to your land. And he says this about that day. He says, I will, but God says this, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar. Let them return, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Let them return to this land that I'm going to take them from. But this is where I want you to really pay attention. He says, everyone who is called by name, Everyone whom I have created for what? For my glory. Everyone that I have formed and made. Why do we exist? For the glory of God. To bring God the glory that he is rightly due. So let's examine choice in light of that. If God created so that we might, uh, all of creation might glorify him, it makes sense then that he would create us with a choice. First reason. If we don't have a choice to glorify God or to not glorify God, what we do in glorifying him is going to be diminished. Here's what I mean. Did you know that your phone can talk to you? Check this out. This is so great. Siri, do you like me? What a question. Of course I'm your friend. Siri's my friend. Did you hear that? <laughs> Siri's my friend. Siri, do you love me? Look, a puppy. Oh, you're, so, you're just playing. 
Siri, do you love me? Let's just say you have my utmost admiration. Isn't that nice? Siri loves me. I could ask her other questions. Will you marry me? She says yes. But does anybody here think for a second that Siri likes me? That Siri loves me? That Siri would marry me? That's just weird, right? All Siri's doing is responding to a bunch of lines of code that her programmers put in her uh, with the responses that they programmed to respond with. Uh, and and it's, she's a robot. She's an automaton. It doesn't mean anything. I don't go to sleep at night feeling better because Siri's my friend. <laughs> Are you with me? And this is why God creates choice. Because he could have made us robots. He could have just said, okay, no one has a choice. Everybody loves me. But is that a true kind of love? Like, let's, let's go to your marriages. Hey, you got to love her. Hey, you got to love him. No choice. Really? I mean, most of us are sitting here because God brought us into the realm of that person and we fell for that person and got to know that person and got them to fall for us somehow. Like, I always wonder how Eleanor got, you know, to be with me, but she did. And, and it was our choice. And, and, and so the love that we share is authentic and deep and real and not forced because it wasn't forced on us. Are you with me? Yeah, so God gives us a choice. He wants it to be real. He doesn't want it to be like the kid who got a present from Aunt Bunny, and, uh, and, and it's a lousy present, right? And, and the parents there who you know, saw the present from Aunt Bunny says, you go thank Aunt Bunny for that present. You might seem like a six or seven-year-old who has been told to go thank their, someone that they have to thank them. Has anybody heard the words come out of their mouth? Thanks. You know, and they walk away. Because six- and seven-year-olds haven't got sophisticated like adults who can lie to people that they aren't grateful to about a present that they didn't want. You guys do it all the time. Oh, I always wanted one of these. No, I never wanted one of those. Thank you so much. I'll put it up in my house. It's not even making it home, right? I mean, we lie all the time, but kids can't. They haven't developed that in their, you know, program yet. And so authenticity, God gives us choice so that our... Our worship of him is at a level that's authentic and more glorifying. But he also gives us a choice. Get this. He gives us a choice because if he doesn't, so many of his attributes will never be seen. Think about this for a second, okay? If God doesn't create man with the potential to choose him not, and if God doesn't even understand, because God's all-knowing, that man will choose him not, okay? So we've got to wrestle with that as you drive home today. God knew this was coming, Okay? But he allows it to happen anyway. Why? Because parts of him would never be on display if sin were not in existence. Here's what I mean. Grace, heard about grace? You know what grace is. Grace is God doing for us anyway when we don't deserve it. Why don't we deserve it? Because we're wicked and rebellious. And if being wicked and being rebellious were not options, then his grace would never be on display. Are you with me? Anybody glad that God forgives? It's a huge part of our God and his, and his greatness, but his forgiveness would never be necessary if we were created like robots who never disobeyed. Are you with me? I could go through all of his attributes, and you would see that certain ones of them are just exponentially uh, lifted and, and, and magnified because the existence of sin is with us. Uh, like I said, reams of paper, books have been written on the subject. If you want uh, more, email me. I'll send you some other things to read. 
But suffice it to say is that God creates us to choose. Gives us choices. It's his intent that we would choose. It's his intent that we would choose him. So the thing I want to leave you with, (laughs) what are you choosing in your life? What are you choosing in your life? Make good choices? Narrow road? Or most of your choices involved around feeding your glory? Worshiping you? Things that you want? And that's every Sunday at church, isn't it? I preach something from that great book, and then we come away, and you get choices. You get to go and do whatever the God's word says or not. I'm amazed at how often I went to church, and still do sometimes, hear truth just poured out by someone on the stage, and then I'm like, yeah, I'll do that later. That's probably good for someone else. I'm a great elbow Christian, right? Hey, this one's for you. Pay attention. But every one of us walks out of here every week. Every one of us wakes up every day to a series of choices. You guys decided to come here this morning. Way to go. But you're going to leave here, and you're going to have in your marriages and in your parenting and in your schools and in your jobs and in your relationships on your block, you're going to have all kinds of choices. How are you doing with those choices? Do you choose to glorify God? What are the areas where you don't? Can I leave you with one piece of good news? There's lots of good news in the Bible, but here's, here's one of the best things that I've read in the scriptures is that even when we choose God not, he always chooses us. I don't, I don't think you heard me. Because if you had heard me, you would have got a little more excited about that. Let me, let me say it one more time. Even when we choose God not, he chooses us. Isn't that amazing? Now, some of you are new to the story and you're like, yeah, okay. No, that's amazing. A perfect and righteous and holy God. From page one, almost, of the scriptures. Well, from page one where, where, where we chose him not, he constantly chooses us even though we choose him not. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't leave us without consequence. Adam and Eve, choose not God. Garden's closed. Everybody out. But he didn't kill them. In fact, uh, he makes a promise to the snake. He says, you know what? There's going to be an offspring from this woman who's going to crush your head. Come back in a few weeks. We'll talk about it. It's good stuff. And he, he sets, in, 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 it's already in motion. It's the meta narrative. It's the overarching story of Scripture. You know what Scripture is? Paradise. Three chapters in, paradise lost. The rest of humanity's existence Revelation 20 and 21, paradise refound. That's the story. And you know what makes that story possible? The immense, unconditional, forgiving love of your heavenly Father for you and me, even when we choose him not. Amen? So, now, may you and I live out the image of God. May we Act like he acts. May we lead like he leads. leads. May we love like he loves. May we create in a way that glorifies him. And may we choose the path that he has for us. And may we revel in the fact, not exploit, may we revel in the the fact that even when we choose him not, he always chooses us. God is good. He doesn't have to. He does it because he loves us. Amen? Amen? Go and choose. Let me pray.
Hey, Lord, thanks so much for a chance to talk about you this morning. Uh, Lead us into your likeness, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.